So last Sunday was a great day. We had good attendance. We had six baptisms in the second service. If you didn't hear about that, you can go online and watch that on the video. It was a really great day. And uh, Monday morning I got up and I was feeling good. But as I got up, I began to listen to the news on the television before I was getting ready to leave the house. And I became more and more saddened as I realized back to the real world again. And I listened to reports about the shootings that we've had the last couple of weeks. Of course, one in Nashville, and then I believe last week in Louisville, and people were killed. And there's so much evil stuff going on in our world. I mean, you hear about crimes, and even locally, usually we have some kind of violence here in our own town uh, every week. Something's going on, drug charges, somebody being chased down. I heard after on the national news, they talked about one of the airports, uh, the charging station where you can plug up your cell phone and charge it. They had somehow hijacked those, and they were putting malware on your cell phone or, or spyware or something. And, and there's just evil everywhere we turn. Of course, we look at the global picture, there's even more evil all around. The Collins English Dictionary named their word of the year for 2022. That word is permacrisis. Permacrisis. And, and on their website... Uh, uh, they revealed that permacrisis is a noun. Uh, the definition is an extended period of instability and insecurity, especially one resulting from a series of catastrophic events. Uh, they go on to say on their website, uh, the term rings true because of the war in Ukraine, political instability, and the surge of inflation. Of course, you add into that COVID, and it just seems that there's one crisis after another. Uh, their website goes on to say, the term embodies the dizzying, dizzying sense of lurching from one unprecedented event to another as people wonder what new horrors might be around the corner. You know, there's always something. I was uh, flipping channels the other day and, and watching TV, and I, 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 I was just reminded of how evil things in our world, some of the TV shows. And some scripture began to flood my mind. We know, says Romans 8, that whole creation has been groaning. We ourselves groan inwardly as we wait eagerly. We wait for the day when Jesus comes back. And takes us to be with him. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.13 says, evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse. You know, things are not going to get better. They're going to get worse. I was flipping, as I was flipping those channels, I came across some previews of an old movie uh, watched years ago, Anaconda. Uh, an anaconda is a giant snake. They grow some 30 feet long, can weigh up to 500 pounds. There's a movie about that. Some people went to South America to make a film, and this anaconda wreaks havoc on them and is always attacking, and they, they never know where he's going to show up. 
where he's going to come from. And just over and over again, he pops up and, and tears up boats and houses and eats people. And, and it's just traumatic. As I was watching that movie, I was thinking about a, a humorous book that came out a few years ago, The Worst Case Scenario Survival handbook and it goes through how to survive certain things it, it goes through what to do if attacked by an anaconda number one says if you're attacked by an anaconda do not run the snake is faster than you are number two lie down flat on the ground number three put your arms tight at your sides and your legs tied against one another the snake will begin to climb over your body yeah right do not panic. Yeah, right. Number six, the snake will begin to swallow you from the feet end. Number seven, step six will take a long time. Number eight, after a while, slowly, with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the snake's mouth then suddenly sever the snake's head. Number nine, be sure your knife is sharp. Number ten, be sure you have your knife. Now, you know, that's a humorous thing, and it's fictitious, it's not real, but it, but it just reminds us that we need to be prepared for so many things that can happen, things that are going to go on. And today we continue our series called Hope is Alive. Because we know, despite all the evil that's all around us everywhere, there is hope. And today we're going to end that series with a message called the hope of security. We, we want to know that the salvation that we talk about is real. That the resurrection was real. That the, the chance of eternal life for us is something real. We need to have a sense that it's true. And the question I raise is, can we be secure in our salvation? Can we be secure? You know, the older we get, especially me, the, the older I get, the more that's important to me. And you know, I have to remind myself that true biblical hope arises from a faith in the Lord. And it's a confident, positive expectancy about the things to come. The scripture says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You know, the truth is, we didn't see a resurrection. We, we haven't seen a resurrection. Uh, we, we have not experienced uh, resurrection ourselves yet. But we can have a confidence that it's all true. And we can... We can uh, have confidence that we will spend eternity with Jesus Christ. Let's turn in our Bibles today to Luke chapter 24. And here's why we can have a confidence. Uh, we can have a confident belief in the Lord and the hope of security for eternity. And it all starts with going back to the apostles. We're going back to the apostles. You see, those apostles, they did experience a resurrection. They saw it firsthand. They saw Jesus. They visited with him. They learned from him. And not just before his death, but after his death. He came back. 
the risen Christ appeared to them. And it's recorded here some of the last words that Jesus gave before he left this earth. And he wanted to prepare them. Read with me Luke chapter 24. We'll start at verse 36. While they were still talking about this, now the this there is that Jesus had appeared to two of the disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they were sharing what he said. In fact, they said, our hearts were burning as we talked to him. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Now let's just unpack that part for just a minute. Let's think. The first thing, or, or what I want us to begin to think about, is that, that Jesus was teaching his followers some face, basics of the faith. He's just going to give them some basic ideas here in this last part of this text that they need for faith. You know, Acts chapter 1, verse 3 says, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive, and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So they had an opportunity uh, for Jesus to teach and meet with them several times after he rose from the dead. This is one of those occasions that he came to meet with them and here, he's going to sort of lay out three ideas that I think we can draw out of this that will not only help, didn't help the apostles, but will help us. And the first idea is this. Believe that he rose from the grave. You know, when he came out, when he came to them, it startled them. I think it would startle me too. They... they even though they'd just been talking about the fact that he appeared to a couple of them and that, and that he was alive, and, but now he appears to all 11. You know, Judas hanged himself, so there were only 11 apostles at this time. And he, he's pretty straight with them. You know, he addresses the, what we call the white elephant in the room. Why are you doubting? Why do you have these doubts? Why do, you, do doubts rise in your mind, he said. But you know, you think about it, would we have been any different? Do we always listen to Jesus? Or do we have doubts sometimes? There was a guy that was out hiking in the woods and he fell off of a cliff. It was a thousand feet to the bottom and somehow he miraculously grabbed hold of a tree that was growing off the side of that cliff. And he was hanging there and, and he was an atheist, but he yelled out, God, if you're real... Save me. And a voice from heaven said, I will save you. Let go of the tree. And the man hung there for a minute. He said, is anybody else up there? And you know, would we be any different? We always have doubts in our minds. Of course, we've never seen a resurrection. And, that, and that's understandable if you had never seen a resurrection, how can you believe in a resurrection? Imagine if you came here to our country and you were from a different planet and you had never 
you'd never been here. You'd, you, you, you didn't know anything about how we lived. And, and you came down and you asked a question. Maybe you met with Dr. Culp here and you said, how does your kind reproduce? And you said, well, uh, I'll tell you about that. We, uh, a man and a woman get together and we got little ears in here, so we won't go into detail about that. But, but nine months later, uh, well, in the process, this lady, her stomach starts to get big and, and there's a sack in there and it's full of fluid. And in that fluid, there's a little baby forming and swimming around in there. And then after nine months, the, the sack breaks and the water gushes out. And the husband says it's time to go to the hospital and he can't find the car keys. And, and eventually they get to the hospital and then the lady gets on a bed and puts her feet up in these stirrups and, and the doctor says, boil some water. And before long, they're screaming and yelling and the doctor says, push. And a baby pops out and they cut the umbilical cord, spank it on the butt and it starts to cry and... That's how, and if you've never heard that, or say, you'd say, no way. There's no way that can happen. We hadn't seen a resurrection. We say, no way, but the apostles saw it. And I'm convinced that what happened to them afterward is the biggest evidence that we have that Jesus rose. Now let's move on in the text, verse 40. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Now, the law of prophets, the... the, uh, the the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. That's the Old Testament. He's saying everything that's written in your Bible, they didn't have the New Testament at this time, has got to be fulfilled. And it was in him. And so not only do we believe he rose from the grave, but the second idea, we've got to trust that the Scripture reveals God's Word to us. You know, Luke here reiterates that he showed them his hands and his feet. One more time. I want you to see, I'm, I'm flesh here. I'm here with you. And I guess to prove it further, he says, give me something to eat. Ghosts don't eat. He got a piece of fish and he ate the fish. And then he began to teach them. You know, the text said he was, he was full of joy, but at the same time, he's amazed that they're, they're not believing that he's there, that he's risen from the dead. So he wanted to make it real, I guess, and ate the fish. But then he gets the Bible. He gets into the Scripture. And he says, you know, all those things you've learned ever since you were little kids, your parents taught you these prophecies that one day a Messiah was going to come. He was going to be the Savior of God's people. Well, I'm He, and it's all real. And he began to teach them about the Scripture and how those, those prophecies, over 300 prophecies, had been fulfilled. Where he would be born, that he would, he would go to Egypt and come out of Egypt, that, that he would live 
in the region of Galilee, that he would be born of a virgin, that he would suffer, that he would be killed, that he would rise, that he would be a king. All those things were fulfilled in Jesus. It's as though he was saying, look here, boys, this is real. You see me. You saw me crucified. Now you see me here. And look at the Scripture. All these things. Look at how I fulfilled all these things. Look at verse 45 now. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And the third idea here is that we are to obey his commands and follow the Spirit's leading. You know, once again, he reminds them what the Scripture says. Messiah would suffer, would die and rise. But now there's more. He's, he's giving them some commands. He's commissioning them. You guys, you guys saw what happened. You're witnesses. And I need you to go. And I need you to tell the people what has happened. Um, not just our people, but all people. The whole world. Tell people that they are to repent. That means to turn, to turn away from the world and turn toward God and find that forgiveness. And he says, you're commissioned in my name, in the name of Jesus, to go do it. Start here in Jerusalem, but work your way out. Go tell all nations. And that's what they did. But he said, wait. I need you to wait just a little bit. The Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And when that Spirit comes, you'll know the time is right. You know, in, in all of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it's recorded that he told them to go. Mark 16, 15 and 16, he said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all I have commanded you. And even over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were commissioned to go and to obey him and teach what he had taught them. You know what happened? They did it. They waited in Jerusalem, and 50 days after he had originally uh, been crucified was the next Jewish holiday, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and Jerusalem is full of people, and they go out in the streets and they begin to preach. And they preach the good news, and Peter especially has a sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2. And the people, it says, were cut to the heart. What should we do, they said. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins.
began to teach what the Scripture said, what Jesus had told them, and they were following the Spirit's leading. You know, that brings a thought. How should we respond to Jesus? You know, not everywhere in Scripture is a complete description of how people get saved. The New Testament was written about 20 to 30 years after they began to preach and teach and establish the church. And so most of those churches knew, and most of the writing of the New Testament, uh, after you get past the Gospels and Acts, are letters to individual churches about situations that they have going on, encouragements, uh, corrections, things like that. So uh, the, there's, there's not one place where it tells everything that a person should do to be saved. There are little snippets throughout. One place it says believe and be baptized. Another place it says repent and be baptized. Another place it says confess and believe. Uh, and John 3.16 says whoever believes will be saved. And so we need, we need to know what we need to do. And that requires us to look at the whole counsel of God. You know, if I were, if I were going to tell you how to get to my house and you were familiar with the area, I'd say, you know where uh, Vance Tank Road, Road is and Broyles Lane? Yeah? Well, you just go up over the railroad tracks there, and I'll, I'm up in Springfield Acres Subdivision, 272 on the main road there. And it'd be easy. But if you weren't, I'd have to give more detailed instructions. I'd have to say, you leave out of the parking lot here, and you go down through that first stop sign to the next stop sign, that's Weaver Pike, and you got to turn left on Weaver Pike, and you go about two and a half miles out there, and you'll come to Vance Tank Road, and you get on that road, and then you're going to go about three miles down, and you pass Kay Tallman's house, and then you're going to come to uh, Broyles Lane, and you go up over the railroad tracks, and you go down not the first subdivision, but the second subdivision, right in front of Vance Bible Church, and you turn in, and I'm at the corner on the third road to the right. And... I'd have to give you more detailed instructions. So for the people that were familiar, he didn't have to give all the instructions. But, but what are the instructions? How do we be saved? So we can be secure in knowing that we're saved. I put a little ABC format. This is not original with me. Others have used it, but it makes it simple. And the first is, admit that I have sinned. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that sin is bad because Colossians 1.21 says, Once you were alienated from God because of your evil behavior. And then the B, believe he died for my sin. Hebrews 10.10 says, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And John 3.16 says, uh, he gave his one and only son. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That belief is a faith that he did it for you. And then you confess. Confess him as Lord and Savior. A, B, C, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead you will be saved. Usually people say a confession of faith that Christians have been saying for thousands of years now. 
I believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of the living God, and my Lord and Savior. And then we're, uh, uh, we confess that we have faith in Him. And then we demonstrate that faith by repentance and baptism. As I said earlier, Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So folks usually say a little prayer, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Uh, forgive me of my sin. Take my life and do with me now as you please. And then we were baptized by immersion. That's the way they did it in the Bible. And then lastly, the E is engage in the local church. Hebrews 10.25 says, Do not give up meeting together. And Ephesians 4.11 says, Christ gave pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. When you give your life to Christ, you become part of the body and he wants you working in the body to help build it up. So A, admit, B, believe, C, confess, D, demonstrate, E, engage in the local church. And you know, I, I love the passage of Scripture in 1 John 5, verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. You see, it's not arrogant. It's not boastful. It's not prideful. You do what he says, and you can know that you will have eternal life. We've got a little brochure at the back. It's found at the Welcome Center. It looks like this. Connect with Christ, it says on the side. And it tells all this. So if you have doubts, if you know somebody that has doubts, get one of those and read it. Work your way through it. Look up the Scripture that you can know that you have eternal life and be secure. And our connection today is that genuine faith in and following of Jesus ensure the hope of security forever. You know, God loves you. He sent Jesus to bring forgiveness and to restore a, a broken relationship because of sin. And Jesus calls us to a faith and a following. I read this week something I had never read before. Many of you will know the name Rick Warren. He wrote the book Purpose Driven Life a few years back. He's a preacher in, in uh, Southern California and a uh, big, big church. And the book sold thousands and millions of copies around the world. But a couple of years ago, um, he and his wife Kay, their 27-year-old son Matthew, took his own life. He battled depression and mental illness. And it took a while for them to get over that. And somebody asked Rick about a year later, they said, how have you kept going in your pain? And Rick says, I often reply to people when they ask me that question, the answer is because of Easter. What he means by that, because of Easter, is because of the resurrection. Because Christ was resurrected. And he said, you see, the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus happened over three days. 
Friday was the day of suffering and pain and agony. Saturday was a day of doubt and confusion. But Easter, Sunday, was a day of hope and joy and victory. And here's the fact of life, he says. You will face these three days over and over and over in your lifetime. And when you do, you will find yourself asking, as I did, three fundamental questions. Number one, what do I do with my days of pain? Number two, how do I get through my days of doubt and confusion? Number three, how do I get to the day of joy and victory? And the answer is Easter, the resurrection. And if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus, then you have the hope of security now and forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for recording for us the story of Jesus and what happened with all of its brutality and all of its confusion and all of its doubt, Lord. But we see that those men who knew Jesus best learned from him after he was resurrected and they saw him and it caused them to go and preach a message that changed our world and Lord for that we are grateful and for you sending him because of your great love for us we are grateful and we thank you that he died for our sins and that by believing and repenting and being baptized getting up and engaging in your church, Lord, we know we can have the security of eternal life. We pray today through faith in Jesus Christ. Amen.